God, that's our prayer today, that we would worship you in spirit and truth. That's our prayer today for the children's church, that they would worship you in spirit and in truth. We praise you, Lord, in your name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated, and as you're seated, we'll go ahead and dismiss our kids to children's church up to third grade. We believe it's a big deal to be in church. Do we not give them a good hand for being in church this morning? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we kind of live in a day where, and I mean this in, in papal, fatherly, pastoral love, we live in a day where everybody gets a trophy. I can remember being raised growing up crying because I didn't get one. Uh, third place didn't get one. But you know what? When it comes to the things of God, every, everybody's on the equal playing field. And I praise the Lord for you that serve in children's ministry and youth ministry and worship ministry and nursery ministry right now. Uh, I thank you for serving the Lord every Sunday because I can tell you it would not get done without your faithful service. And what a blessing it is today to be able to lift up the name of Jesus knowing that he has exactly what I need. So my prayer today is that you hear from the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart because he knows what you need better than you do. Okay, for some of you, you need to ask Jesus into your heart. You've been playing around, God's dealing with you, you know he is, it's time to get serious. For others of you, Christians, you've been doing your own thing, living your own life. You're not living as if Jesus is your Lord. Today's the day to turn to the Lord. Repent of our sin, give it back to God. Get going again for Jesus, amen? And I praise God this morning that we can open the word of God. I want you to take it and I wanna see it. Hold up your Bible. If you need a copy, there's a red one in front of you. Let's all open it together to the little book of Amos in the Old Testament. Go about halfway, Psalms, Proverbs, you'll get to the major prophets, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then you're gonna begin to find these small prophets and Amos being one of them. It's a blessing this morning to have some special guests. Good to have Phyllis and Estel with us back from Florida. Uh, they left us a number of years ago to go down there and serve the Lord and serve faithfully here for a number of years. Estel was a great deacon, and uh, we are glad to have them back in worship this morning. 21 years ago today, our world changed forever. Most of you adults can remember where you were on 9-11-2001. For me, it was in Mason, Ohio with Tom Tyler picking up bread from our Bread Sunday offering. That's how the Bread Sunday offering got started. We literally collected $1 uh, from whoever could give, and we would go to Mason, Ohio to a bread thrift store and buy bread and take it to New Life Mission in downtown Hamilton. Tom and I were in the back loading the bread and we noticed a television set up high and the clerk was turned around looking at it like this. And we recognized that it was national news, something was going on. We walked forward to the television with her and began to watch as the second plane flew into the building. 
the clerk said to us, my husband is on a business trip on an airplane this morning. For those of you that are young, 9-11 is just something you read maybe in a social studies book or a history book. But it was a day that changed our lives forever. Thousands of innocent people died because of evil. Thousands of innocent people died, listen, in the name of religion. And there were heroic efforts that day that saved the lives of many other people. You know, not long after the attack, George W. Bush stood amongst the rubble and first responders in New York City among the twisted still and said, I hear you, and soon the rest of the world will hear us. There was something peaceful knowing that judgment was coming for the evil that had been done. Uh, Preble Shawnee played that Friday night at Dixie at New Lebanon. And Jim Horton, their pastor then, uh, led in prayer from the press box. And I can remember that Friday night as he prayed, a big jet slowly descended toward the Dayton airport. Our lives have never been the same. And folks, oftentimes nations can promise judgment for wrong or the law can punish judgment for wrong and never follow through. But when it comes to the judgment of God, make no mistake, God will do exactly what he says. So he gives a word of judgment as we began this series last Sunday to Amos, the farmer, the shepherd. And we're reminded that God can use ordinary people for his extraordinary glory. But what you have to be willing to do is let God have your ordinary. You've got to be willing to give it to him, cracks and all, all the flaws in your life. And here's what I love about God. He already knows it before we come to him. He already knows our weaknesses before we ask him to forgive us. But he gives us the opportunity to pray. He gives us the, the assurance of knowing that we can come boldly to the throne because of Jesus. And the good news is, that he even has a plan. Because when you look at God's judgment, make sure you understand this, that God always spared a remnant. There would always be a faithful remnant that would be able to continue to go forward to accomplish his task. So we pick it up in Amos chapter two. The first three verses in Amos chapter two uh, should have been preached last week because we're introduced to Moab as the sixth nation that God pronounces judgment on. And I'll just start by reading those three verses. Amos chapter two, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab and for four. Remember that was a repeated phrase, I believe eight times in the first chapter and then here at the beginning of chapter two, that uh, the sin of the nation was to the max and overflowing. He says, I will not turn away its punishment. Who? Moab. 
because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. But I'll send a fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the palaces of Kirioth, and Moab shall die with tumult, with shouting and trumpet sounds, and I will cut off the judge from its midst and slay all of its princes with him, says the Lord. Moab. Geographically, Moab was east of what we call the Dead Sea. So if you were to look at a map, you'd see up high the Sea of Galilee, and then you would see the Jordan River come down, and then there you would have the Dead Sea. Uh, years ago, in 13, when you let me go to the Holy Land, uh, one of the trips was to the Dead Sea, and they said that uh, if you get in the Dead Sea, it's, the concentrate of salt is so thick that you just automatically float. So I had to try it. And believe it or not, it's, it's true. The salt was unbelievable. People come from all over the world there to uh, do uh, spas and, and have facials and things like that, so I had to try that. And, and, and I, I remember taking, they, they told us how to do it, and I took that mud and I put it on my face, and all of a sudden I started getting so tight, I felt like I didn't know what, like I was panicking. And then, then they said, rinse it off, rinse it off, and after we rinsed it off, I thought, man, I feel young. I feel good. Even today, recently, the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, is it's getting smaller and smaller by the year. Moab was considered uh, southeast, east of the Dead Sea, and it was kind of, in the, you would think it would be in the southern kingdom, but if you look in the back of your Bible, most likely you have maps of the divided kingdom. You're going to see how it's outlined. It's really part of the northern. Now, what were their transgressions? One writer said it was fairly simple. They had a disrespect for life, and they had a disrespect for leadership. Moab was the son of Lot. They were often at war with Israel. And most of the time, it was because of their religious beliefs. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. When it comes to your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, everything doesn't have to be an argument. It doesn't have to be an argument. Uh, you don't have to convince somebody. The Holy Spirit does the work in a person's life. Uh, I, I cannot make you be saved. I cannot make you get right with God. The Holy Spirit convicts, and in the Bible, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Listen, God does what he does well. Our job is to be faithful to his word. Now, they had a disrespect for life. The Bible says uh, the king's bones were burned and turned into lime. The, the East culture uh, showed great respect for the dead, but it was steeped in superstition rather than the promises you and I have that beyond the grave we have the hope of heaven. Amen, church? Because of what Jesus has done. Uh, they buried the dead carefully. And as they buried the dead carefully, they, they, in their superstition, they were saying uh, it would ensure that the spirit would continue into existence, into the next world through their death. So the family would, would go to the, the grave and, and, and the, the, the casket 
where they were concealed, and they would inscribe on it a curse to anybody who messed with the body. I want to remind you this morning that the casket that you and I can be buried in one day will be temporary. It will be temporary, just like the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he will call that body out one day and change it and make it fit and perfect for heaven because heaven is a perfect place. I tell you, the older I get, uh, death fascinates me because we've never taken that journey, amen? But the older I get, the more sweeter heaven is because the folks we love, many more are now there waiting for us. I pray that you've made your reservation for heaven. You see, when you look at judgment, God has already called judgment on five nations, and now he says Moab will join them. And then Amos, in essence, announces guilty. Let me tell you something about Moab that the Bible reminds us of. Uh, the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 23, an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the 10th generation None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet with you with bread and water when they were asked for help on the road when you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam to curse you. The Bible says in Judges chapter 11, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed and in like manner so did the king of Moab. So there was always this division and this angst between Moab and Israel. And boy, don't you know that Judah and Israel are glad to hear that judgment is cast upon Moab. Now, and it did happen. Because later on they were taken by the Assyrians and they were occupied by nomadic tribes and Moab was no more. No more. Up to this point, six Gentile nations. The enemy. Judgment is cast. Number one, if you're using your outline and want to follow along with me, listen carefully. God expected the Gentiles in chapter 1 and 2 to listen to the Jewish prophet and heed the message. What are you saying, Brother Greg? The gospel is for everybody. You've got to do something with truth. Salvation is a decision you've got to make. Nobody can make it for you. You say, well, my, grandma, my grandmother brought me up in church and loved me. I praise the Lord for that. My papa, you say my papa was a preacher. I praise God for that. Your parents were very active in the church. I praise the Lord for that. But when it comes to your own relationship with the king of kings, it's a decision you have to make. And the Gentiles, just like the Jews, would have to make that decision of whom they're going to follow. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, well, Brother Greg, I'm not a member of the church. So I'm just here as a spectator. I'm not a member of the church. Let me talk to those of you that have been visiting with us for a while. A lot of times when we say we don't want to unite with the church, we're, we're trying to play it comfortable. We're saying, I'm just, going to, I'm just going to be about an arm's length, and, and I like the people. Uh, you might even say, I even support the church through giving. I thank you for that. But yet, you're still not willing to commit so that 
there's not accountability in being part of this body of Christ. Write this down somewhere. God forbid that First Camden look more like a country club than a hospital. Not the cool place to go. Not, not all of my friends are there, even though sometimes friends are the reason folks visit. But because I'm choosing to worship the King of Kings, you know, we talk, we sing, there's no God but Jehovah. Amen? But because of what God has done in my life. So we all have to be accountable to what God is calling us to do and to be and to hear and to accept. Maybe you're here today and you say, Brother Greg, uh, I'm a shy Christian. There's no way I can share my faith with somebody else. Okay, everybody look at me. Yeah, there is a way. There is a way. You talk about what you love. I, I couldn't bear the thought of facing Don Hall today. Well, you know, most of you know uh, they're Florida residents. And, he, you know, he talks about how great Florida football is. And last night, Kentucky beat Florida. But then again, he's the biggest Kentucky basketball fan there's ever been. I thought, he's going to come in and say, I want either way, Brother Greg. I want it. And he did. That's exactly what he said. I'm a winner either way. Folks, listen to me. We talk about the things we love, do we not? Oh, I can talk about my grandboys and just absolutely make you sick. They're all different. They're uniquely different. And, and man, they're just special just like yours are. Just like yours are. I'm too shy. I, I, I can't do it. God has called you and given you, Christian, a unique responsibility, and that is you have the greatest message this world needs to hear. And you don't have to be a preacher. But in God's eyes, you already are as a Christian, and all he wants you to do is voice what he's done in your life. Some of you are saying, I'm too busy. We found out a few weeks ago, we all have the same amount of time in a day. We do what we want to do. So what does God do? He sees and he judges. And if you look at chapter one and the first three verses of chapter two, it may seem like evil somehow is winning. And brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, there is a God who's in control of everything. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all, breath to all, and on all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. The Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. 
and I wonder what the world thinks. Uh, this week with the passing of Queen Elizabeth and all the pageantry that we're watching and will watch, it's, it's really fascinating. But what has fascinated me the most are the witnesses in her life that said her relationship with Jesus Christ was the most important thing. Isn't that awesome? What an inheritance to leave your family. What an inheritance to leave a country. And when you think about what God has done, what does the world think when they look at America? With all of the bickering, and I think people would think that somehow the evil is winning. There used to be a day when you would uh, name yourself as a Christian and there would be some respect for it. There used to be a day when you would tell people you're a pastor and there would be respect for it. There used to be a day when an evangelist would sit on an airplane or, or at a bus stop and tell somebody he was an evangelist, a preacher of the gospel, and there would just be a built-in respect for what he did. And today, when you tell people that you're Christians, folks that don't know Christ and don't know the truth often look at you as if you're some kind of enemy enemy. You see, those Gentile nations had the same responsibility to listen to the truth. Number two, responsibility brings accountability. And if you want to write it this way, you can do it this way as well. Accountability brings responsibility. Accountability. You see, there's nobody in, this, in, in the sanctuary today that's going to be able to leave and say, I don't know, I never heard, I didn't know what it meant to be a Christian. No one ever explained to me clearly what it meant to be a Christian. None of you are gonna be able to go home today and never claim that. None of you will stand before God and say, I never heard the truth. You're accountable. And accountability brings responsibility. And the responsibility that you have as a believer is to show people what Jesus looks like and how he's changed your life. So the first three, chapter, or first three verses and the first chapter of Amos deal with Gentiles. And you, you might think that the Jews hearing this judgment are wringing their hands, applauding the decision, maybe saying, give them more, give them more, and maybe there's some laughter and applause that takes place, but it's short-lived because we get to verse four, chapter two. If you're ready, say amen. Thus says the Lord. They might be thinking, who's he gonna name next? For three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Why? Why? because they have despised the law of the Lord, have not kept his commandments, and their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. Judah's problem was twofold. They despised the law, and they were disobedient. I mean, the idea of, of a Jewish prophet lumping us in with these pagan nations, no way. I mean, can't you hear them? But Lord, at least we worship the true God. We're not as bad as them. 
And all the while, the temple was filled with people bringing their sacrifices, going through the motions, but idolatry was very real. You see, the Gentiles, they sinned against mankind. Judah was rejecting the very law of God. They had greater privilege. They had greater responsibility because of the accountability that God had afforded them. You know, we're always tempted to compare, aren't we? We're always tempted to compare. Sometimes preachers are the worst. You know the parable that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 18? You're familiar with it. The Bible says he spoke a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. And he gives them a picture of two men who go to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, one was a religious leader, and the other was a tax collector. A tax collector often was hated by the Jews because they were hired by the Romans to take money from the Jews. The Pharisee stood and prayed uh, with himself and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even this tax collector. We're prone to compare. And the tax collector standing afar off could not even lift his head and raise his eyes to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Bible says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. And everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I must admit, I battled pride a little bit this week. I confess it to you today. Thursday, we went to an all-day preaching conference in Westchester, and Joe Kramer went with me. And I said, Joe, meet me at 8 at church, and we'll just go together. He said, okay. He goes, do you want me to drive? I said, can you drive your Corvette? And he said, uh, let me check with Sharon. I think that might be able to happen. And lo and behold, here he came. That's not the part I need to confess. The part I need to confess was when we arrived at the church in Westchester. We pulled in, and one of my best friends, Dwayne Lee, was standing outside. And we pulled in. We had the windows down, and Joe pulled us in slow. And I said, can you tell me where the Corvettes park? Uh, you say, Brother Greg, why did that make you? Because I just acted like it was mine. Actually, I acted like I was a big-time pastor and I had a driver. Huh? Hey, we're, we're prone to compare. And then we went into the, the day that each main service had worship. We, we, we compare music. We compare buildings and facilities and neighborhoods and people. Maybe you compare your family to other families. Jesus said, here's a man who recognized his greatest need was Jesus. And the fellow that was religious, the place where people should be able to be helped, thought he was better than everybody else. I believe Judah, maybe the Jews might be following into that little, we're better than them, and then they're getting hit with a haymaker right here. 
God is unloading. Number four, in sin, we're all in the same boat. In sin, we all sit in the same boat. We're sinners, we're separated, we all need a Savior. Anybody want to say amen? That's the gospel. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. A righteousness, being in a right relationship. And here's the good news. Jesus died on our behalf. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I praise God for that. You see, the Jews were being reminded of something you and I need to be reminded of today. Numbers 14.18 says that he will in no means clear the guilty. So what does God do? In the past, he had allowed in history various nations to attack, and now the Jews would be made to move out of their land. They would go into Babylonian captivity. Thousands would be displaced for 70 years, but there was a big difference. Unlike the Gentile nations that would be destroyed, like Moab, who was divided and Moab was no more, God would always use a remnant that would be there to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. You know, God, most of the time in Baptist churches, has always had a remnant. Some of you were part of it. When, when times got lean, um, you know, the church, uh, when Brother Evans had left prior to me coming, uh, the church had been without a pastor for a little while. And that's often a difficult place for a church. A lot of times churches decline during that period. So when we came, folks were saying, oh man, the church is really growing. But the truth is, there's nowhere to go when you're down. There's only one way to go. But God used some of you as the faithful remnant. I know you get discouraged sometimes. I know you get discouraged at me. I know you get discouraged at each other. I know you get tired talked to somebody today and said, how you doing? They said, I'm just tired. That's okay. We all need a Sabbath, amen? And, and the good news is, is when you think about what God has done, that faithful remnant oftentimes feels like they're insignificant, as, as if nobody knows, but only eternity will tell. I praise the Lord for that. It may have been the furthest thing from Judah's mind. He's talking to us. He's talking to us. And then he goes to Israel, the northern. Verse 6, for three transgressions of Israel, or for four. I love the fact that Amos doesn't change anything in regards to how bad it is. To the max, piling over. I will not turn away its punishment. Why? Verse 6, because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. Listen, a man and his father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Man, he lays it out. He lays out three things, injustice, immorality, 
and idolatry. And in this passage, he says, you're involved in the same things the Gentiles are. Now, keep in mind, Israel was experiencing some prosperity. But I believe when you put into context what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes about chasing the wind, folks, you can have all the money in the world, have all the possessions the world says will make you happy, and still wake up in the morning and longing for more. Amos had a lot to say about oppressing the poor. If you look at chapter 4, look over at chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word, uh, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy. That was something that was on his mind. How you treat people that cannot do anything for you. For our guests that are here this, today, you're sitting in a church that has some of the most giving people you'll ever meet in your life. I'm not talking about Ray Roberts next Sunday morning, Cody. I'm talking about meeting the need of the hungry in Camden, putting gas into somebody's car that has a temporary need. God is faithful. You're never going to miss what you give for God. God will take care of us. Amen, church? He always has. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 14, he who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. See, there was injustice, and that's exactly what the six Gentile nations were doing also. They were oppressing the poor. But there was also immorality. Can you imagine this? Look at verse seven. A man and his father go into the same girl. They're talking about sexual immorality. The picture here is of a father and son visiting the same prostitute, most likely regarding idol worship. You say, Brother Greg, we don't have idols. Why, why, do, why do we look at the Old Testament and talk about idols? Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And, and you'll say, what are some that you think are real? I think, I think we set up our employment as idol, as an idol, as if it's always going to be there. When the fact is, maybe you're here and you're retired and you worked a lot of years in one place, most people don't have that luxury anymore. Uh, let me tell you about another idol. It, it's already taken over Wednesday night and it's made its move to the weekends with no regard to Sunday and that's sports. And most of the church knows I'm as big a sports fan as anybody in this building. And I battle it in our own family. Most of us could not name last year's Super Bowl winner. You know why? Because fame is fleeting when it comes to this world. Some of you are thinking the biggest game in the world comes on at 1 o'clock. Brother Greg, wrap it up. I need to get home. Watch them Bengals. Okay, I, I didn't say that for response. Okay, let me tell you something. There's a game far bigger than a football game. And it's life and death. It's life and death. Michael Catt 
said that those who want the next generation the worst will go after them. And there is a culture that is hot after our young people. Um, immorality is everywhere. And just because, like your mom used to tell you, just because your neighbor doesn't mean, doesn't mean you have to do it. Rich sinners going to the pagan altars uh, in their idol worship, verse 8. On their clothes taken in pledge, drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. So the money that they had taken from the poor is used to worship idols. And then, in verses 8 through 16, God simply says, remember when? Remember when? Look at verse 9, for instance. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them. Look at the end of verse 9. Yet I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Verse 10, also it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Verse 11, I raised up some of your sons as prophets. Verse 13, behold, I am weighed down by you. It's almost as if God's saying, you're holding me back from what I'm wanting to do. And folks, I believe obedience can go a long way in the life of a Christian. What would your life look like if you gave your heart to Christ as a believer, if you laid out all of your sin on the altar and said, God, here it is. Would you give me a brand new, fresh start? What would your life look like if you simply walked in obedience? Striving to, to not bow to the devil in any area, any unknown, unconfessed sin in your life, God has it, given me a brand new start. What would life look like if you strive to walk in obedience? For most of us, it would look a lot different. There would be some joy because you have peace. And as Proverbs says, you're not looking over your shoulder hoping nobody finds out. But you have freedom. And only Jesus can give you that kind of freedom. He's saying in verses 9 through 16, uh, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you realize that I'm, you're, you're holding me back from what I want to do? Do you realize that what you used to have, you're going to lose? Look at verse 16. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day. They're going to lose their courage. They have nothing. God can and God will strip it all away. Why? Because the lion roars. The lion roars. So my appeal to you this morning, as a Christian, will you let God have it? Will you let God have it? You say, Brother Greg, is that all I need to do? Well, let me tell you something. God is, God is the one who can change it, but Brother Greg can't. Some occasion I've talked about this, some pastors have the gift of counseling. I mean, they just, they just eat it up. They love it when their schedule's got somebody's coming in for counseling, counseling, counseling. A lot of times, when you leave my office, I'm, I'm like this. Not because I don't love you and, and care about you, but because the heaviness of your problems overwhelm me. But there is a God in heaven 
who's not worried about your problems. He simply wants you to come to him, the master physician. He'll diagnose you correctly and has exactly what you need. So, Christian, would you be willing to let God give you a brand new start? I've needed that many times in my life. If that's you today, let this be the day. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and, and you're, maybe you're sitting in your pew saying, it's kind of hard to figure out, but it just seems like there's, God just seems to be speaking to me. Brother Greg, when he preaches, it seems like he knows something about my life. Somebody's told him. That's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you to himself. And if you've never been saved, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible refers to it as being born again. Today can be your day. In a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to sing. And if God is calling you to, to become a child of his, if he's calling you to be saved, I'm asking you to come to me. Got Christian, if God's calling you to put feet onto what you're sensing this morning, just come and get on your knees. Let this be the beginning of a new day. Let's all stand together.